comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be reading just the verses 8 through 13 of this chapter. 2 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 8. What we hear now is God's word. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what earnestness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So I though, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Here we end the reading God's holy word. I'm going to read this morning a couple articles from the Canons of Dort. Uh, this is from page 104 in the back of the Psalter. I'm going to read this morning articles 9 and 10, and then articles 14 and 16. Article 9, it is not the fault of the gospel, nor of Christ offered therein, nor of God, who calls men by the gospel and confers upon them various gifts, that those who are called by the ministry of the word refuse to come and be converted. The fault lies in themselves, some of whom, when called, regardless of their danger, reject the word of life. Others, though they receive it, suffer it not to make a lasting impression on their heart. Therefore, their joy, arising only from a temporary faith, soon vanishes, and they fall away. While others choke the seed of the word by perplexing cares and the pleasures of this world, and produce no fruit. This our Savior teaches in the parable of the sower. Article 10 but that others who are called by the gospel obey the call and are converted is not to be ascribed to the proper exercise of free will, whereby one distinguishes himself above others equally furnished with grace sufficient for faith and conversion, as the proud heresy of the Pelagius maintains, but it must be wholly ascribed to God, who, as he has chosen his own from eternity in Christ, so he calls them effectually in time, confers upon them faith and repentance, rescues them from the power of darkness, and translates them into the kingdom of his own Son, 
that they may show forth the praises of him who has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light and may glory not in themselves, but in the Lord, according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. And now from Article 14, bottom of page 105. Faith is therefore to be considered as a gift of God, not on account of its being offered by God to man to be accepted or rejected at his pleasure, but because it is in reality conferred upon him, breathed and infused into him, nor even because God bestows the power or ability to believe and then expects man should by the exercise of his own free will consent to the terms of salvation and actually believes in Christ, but because he who works in man both to will and to work, and indeed all things in all, produces both the will to believe and the act of believing also. And then finally from Article 16, that's the top of page 106. But as man did, but as man by the fall did not cease to be a creature endowed with understanding and will, nor did sin which pervaded the whole race of mankind deprive him of the human nature, but brought upon him depravity and spiritual death, so also this grace of regeneration does not treat men as senseless stocks and blocks, nor take away their will and its properties, or do violence thereto. But it spiritually quickens, heals, corrects, and at the same time sweetly and powerfully bends it. And where carnal rebellion and resistance formerly prevailed, a ready and sincere spiritual obedience begins to reign, in which the true and spiritual restoration and freedom of our will consist. Wherefore, unless the admirable author of every good work so deal with us, man can have no hope of being able to rise from his fall by his own free will, by which, in a state of innocence, he plunged himself into ruin. Well, this morning we will look at our last sermon on these heads of doctrine, uh, head of doctrine three and four. Uh, we talked about these, how these heads are always uh, grouped together. Uh, the title of uh, the heads of doctrine three and four, uh, The Corruption of Man, His Conversion to God, and the Manner Thereup. We have talked about man's corruption. The fact that man is totally depraved that every part of him is stained with sin. We have talked about the fact that man is not simply sick with sin, he is dead in transgressions and sins. He needs someone else to work upon him. And we talked last time about the manner whereby God does that, how he irresistibly draws his people to himself through the effectual call of the gospel. That call which goes out and when the Holy Spirit accompanies that call is able to allow a man to respond. And that response we refer to as his conversion. That response as he has faith and believes and repents before the word of God. It's important to keep 
a balance in our understanding of our sin and God's grace. Again, I suggest that's why three and four are always dealt with together. Yes, we recognize our fallenness, recognize our depravity, but we also recognize the glorious grace of God. It's, it's easy for us to get out of balance, to, to so focus on our sin, to so focus on our fallenness that the gospel almost becomes a postscript for us. We must know the bad news, but it may never eclipse the good news of the gospel. It's important to keep a balance in our understanding of God's work of salvation in our lives. Now, we have said again and again, God is the initiator of our salvation. God is the one who before time chose a people to be his very own. God is the one who in time allows those people to hear the gospel. And God is the one who by the power of his spirit gives new life. We say salvation is first and last from God. We contribute nothing to our salvation. And yet, we are involved in the process. As Article 16 says, God does not treat us as stocks and blocks, as if we were nothing. But God allows us to hear the gospel, to hear the call to faith and repentance, and we are responsible then to repent and to believe. Yes, we know that the the faith by which we embrace these truths is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. But we are called to exercise that faith. It's important to keep the balance. It is not God's faith, it is our faith. Yes, a gift from God, but we are those who are called to repent. We are those who are called to believe. When we talk about faith and repentance, this is our understanding, the canon's understanding, the Bible's understanding of conversion. What do we mean by conversion? So I asked the question this morning, are you converted? And, and in that question, I'm not asking so much, when were you converted? Some people understand the question that way. Are you converted? Oh yes, I can point to a particular date, a particular time when God converted me. And if that's the case, that's wonderful. But that's not the intent of this question, are you converted? Uh, the scriptures, the canons talk about conversion not, not simply as a one-time occasion, but as an ongoing lifestyle. Conversion is, is faith and repentance. That's what we mean by conversion, children. The character of conversion, it is faith and repentance. Now, we know that there is a certain order in our salvation. Scripture teaches that. Election comes first. God's calling comes next. By that, he regenerates the spirit, and we are converted. We express faith and repentance. There is a particular order in which God does things. But in conversion itself, in the expression of faith and repentance, there is not an order here. Uh, these two go on side by side. As, as one of my favorite theologians, 
uh, Dr. Murray says, these two belong together and go hand in hand. Faith is that turning toward God. Repentance is that turning away from our sin. Faith is turning toward God, repentance turning away from our sin. And both of these must go on continually in our lives. Conversion is that response to the call of the gospel, that call which enlivens us by the Spirit of God. Yes, we were dead in transgressions and sins, but God, by His Holy Spirit, enlivened us, and that new life expresses itself in conversion. It expresses itself in faith and repentance. That conversion is our active response to the work of God. As I said, God gives the gift of faith. God sends His Holy Spirit to enliven our lives, to help us by faith see the glories of Christ. But it is not God who believes. We are called to believe. It is our faith, a gift from God, our faith, and we must express that faith. God calls us to repent. It is not God who turns away from our sin. He calls us to actively turn away from our sin. Yes, we do that because the Spirit is alive within us, but the Spirit doesn't repent. We repent. So, I ask the question, are you converted? Is that the character of your life? A faith which continually looks to God. A faith which rejects all hopes, all options around us for salvation. A faith which embraces Jesus Christ alone to be saved. Are you converted? Are you continually turning away from your sin? Rejecting the ways of the world? Turning away from the path of unrighteousness? Is that the character of your life? Are you converted? Because conversion is absolutely necessary for us to be saved. We must express this faith. We must repent before God. He is at work in us. He gives us the gift of faith, but it is our faith then to exercise. It is our repentance to express our devotion to God. It is necessary to have this true faith to be truly converted. Article 9 makes reference to the different types of faith and the parable of the sower found for us in Matthew 13. You remember that parable, kids? How a sower goes out and he sows the seed. And some of that seed lands on the path. This is those who refuse to even hear the Word of God. 
Some of that seed uh, lands on the rocky soil. And there is a temporary faith that comes up. Some of that, fee, uh, that, that uh, seed lands among the, the thorns. And as these thorns grow, the concerns and the pleasures of the world choke out that faith. And yet there is that faith that falls on the good soil. And it is grounded and it is deep-rooted. We are called to express this type of faith. The call of the gospel is repent and believe. Believe in this way. Not not a short-sighted faith. A faith that is temporary, but a faith that is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Are you converted? Because this conversion is not only necessary for our salvation, this conversion is necessary for our very life. Our our call as believers is to bring praise and honor and glory to God. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And Hebrews 11 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God doesn't say it's difficult, doesn't say it's hard. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and that must be the goal of our life. Our very life is taken up with bringing glory to God, and if we do not have that kind of faith, we cannot bring God glory. Conversion is necessary for our salvation, is necessary for life itself. So I ask, are you converted? Is that the nature of your faith? A faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not a faith of temporary interest. Oh, this this Jesus person, he sounds very interesting. I'm going to be enamored by him for a while, but oh, but then there's somebody else. I'm going to study him instead. That's a temporary faith. That's the rocky soil. Is is it a faith in Jesus Christ in spite of the trials of life? This is the the seed that falls among the thorns. A faith that, that is not only a faith in Christ when things are going well, but a faith in Christ during trial, during difficulty, during hardship still believing that Jesus Christ is the only hope for salvation and not letting the trials of this life choke out that faith. That faith being choked either by trials or by pleasures. When we get too comfortable, when God blesses us so abundantly, it's easy for us to become casual about our faith. And the pleasures of life choke out our devotion to Jesus Christ. God calls us to have that deep-rooted assurance created in us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation. Are you converted? Is that your confession? in spite of what you see in the world around you, Jesus Christ and Him alone is where you find your hope 
your comfort and your assurance. This is not just my question this morning, are you converted? This is the question that, that faces everyone from the Word of God. This is the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is repent and believe. Have this type of faith. It is that call that goes out again today. God, once again, in His Word, calls you to put that, that fully grounded, deep-rooted faith in Jesus Christ. Know that there's nothing in this world around you either trials or pleasures that can satisfy outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only hope for salvation. Put your faith in Him and know the truth of conversion. There is no salvation without it. There is no life without it. There is no hope. Our conversion, our faith, our repentance is absolutely necessary to live in this world in a way that brings glory to God. And if you can, and I trust you can, by God's grace, say yes. Yes, yes, I am converted. Yes, that is my faith. I, I truly do believe in Jesus Christ. Then the, the last question we have to ask, what is the evidence of that conversion? How do you know that you are converted? Because, because conversion, faith, and repentance expresses itself by bearing fruit. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul had uh, written the Corinthians a letter, uh, sometimes referred to as the harsh letter, calling them to task because of a particular sin. And Paul writes that harsh letter to them. And that letter, calling them to faith and repentance, this ongoing practice, has its effect. We read in verse 8, For even if I grieve you with my letter, this harsh letter, I do not regret it. Although he says, I did regret it because of the hurt it caused you. But, verse 9, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You were grieved into that expression of your conversion. Your life changed because of the letter that I wrote you. The letter caused grief, but the grief caused repentance. He goes on, For you felt a godly grief, so you suffered no loss through us. And Paul is now going to describe two types of grief. The grief produces repentance, but there are two types of grief. He says, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a godly grief which produces repentance, which produces change in our lives, or there's a worldly grief which does not, only leads us to death. Godly grief, godly sorrow, is sorrow for sin, sorrow for what I have done. Worldly grief, 
is sorrow, I got caught. Godly grief, sorrow for the sin, what I did. Worldly grief, I'm, I'm sorry someone caught me doing it. Godly grief is sorrow because our sin has offended a holy God, a righteous God. That's godly grief. Worldly grief is a sorrow because in this I may have embarrassed myself. I may have lost some social standing or some privilege that I had. That's that's worldly grief. Godly grief is a hatred of sin, hatred of what I did. Worldly grief is a hatred only of the consequences. Perhaps now I have a a, a broken relationship with someone. It's just the consequences that bother me, not the sin itself. And the results could not be more strikingly different. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief leads to repentance, a change that leads to salvation and life. Worldly grief, Paul says, produces death. What is the nature of our repentance? What is the nature of that grief? It is, is it a godly grief that leads us to, to recognize the depravity of our sin? It's an offense against a holy God, a hatred of that sin, never wanting to go back again. That repentance leads to life. Or is it a worldly grief? I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I embarrassed myself. I'm sorry about the consequences. That type of grief leads only to death. Paul says in verse 11, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. This repentance brings about a change. It brings about a a zealousness for the things of God. Not going back to the old ways. I reject the old ways, but I want now to live in God's ways and by His Spirit. That would be my desire. A desire to lead a holy life. A desire to to see the fruits of repentance in our life. Turning away from sin. Turning toward God. Consistently. Every day. In an ongoing way. Are you converted? Is that the character of your life. We all know that sin still dwells within us. But do we court that sin? Do we fan the flame of that sin? Or do we repent of that sin? Turning away from the path of wickedness, turning toward God and the path of godliness as His Spirit is alive and working in us. We, we, we need to embrace this, this ongoing lifestyle of conversion. This continual trust in Jesus Christ as the only hope, expressing our faith, a faith given to us by God, but our faith. 
our faith to be exercised in embracing Jesus Christ and continually repenting of our sin, continually saying no to the ways of ungodliness and by God's Spirit saying yes to the ways of God. Salvation is first and last from God. But He enlivens us. His Word brings us to life. He, by His Spirit, empowers us and calls us to live that life of conversion. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are so thankful that our salvation does not depend on us. Our salvation is your work from first to last. And yet, O oh God, knowing of that work, knowing what you have done, you call us to respond in a particular way. You give us the gift of faith, and you then by your Spirit call us to exercise that faith in embracing Jesus Christ. You give us the gift of repentance. And yet, O oh God, it is not you who repents. You call us. You call us daily to turn away from our sin, to turn once again to your ways. Lord God, we confess our weakness and our frailty and our failure, and we ask this morning most earnestly that your Spirit would continue to enliven us, to direct us in the paths of godliness, and to help us grow in our desire, in our devotion, to live in a way that is pleasing to you. As you call us, Lord God, give us a godly grief that produces repentance, which leads to salvation without any regret. Encourage us, O God, by your word and by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn to number 446 in the Psalter hymnal. Number 446, my faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me when I pray, take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart, my zeal inspire. We're going to sing all four verses, 446.
Receive now the parting blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.